can stand. Acts chapter 7, verse 14. You're wondering what's going on. The problem is your expectations weren't, didn't come from the Holy Ghost, did they? Yeah, you have your expectations based on what we normally do. Well, I, I'd like to know where you got that from. Well, what's going on? Well, you ever heard of the Holy Ghost? Maybe you ought to check with him once in a while before he come to church late. Hallelujah. Acts chapter 7, verse 14. Then said Joseph, then sent Joseph and called his father Jacob to him and all his kindred, threescore and fifteen souls. So Jacob went down into Egypt and died, he and our fathers, and were carried over into Sikkim or Sychem. And laid in the sepulcher that Abraham bought for a sum of money of the sons of Emor, the father of Sycam. But when the time of the promise drew nigh, which God had sworn to Abraham, he grew and multiplied, or the people grew and multiplied in Egypt till another king arose, which knew not Joseph, you may be seated. Praise God. Hallelujah. When the time of the promise drew nigh, it's, it, there's a, a real question. First, first of all, why do you come to church? What's your reason? What's your expectancy? What are you here for? I know why I'm here. I know what my expectancy is. I know what my faith is. I know what I'm believing for. I know what I'm believing to be a part of. It's not a religion. I'm not here to participate in a religion. I'm not here because I'm a member of Antioch. I'm not here because it's my job. I'm here because of my faith. The Lord has blessed me with many, many revelations over the years, and I am so appreciative of that. I deserve none of them, but I'm thankful that I've been trusted with them. But there is a fundamental measure of faith that I have that is probably the most critical of all of my personal faith. I'm not talking about my faith in my salvation doctrine, but my personal faith. There's a critical one that I cannot even remember when I didn't believe it. I have no memory. I have no particular memory of the day that the Lord showed it to me. I was preaching in Pensacola, Florida, uh, some time back, uh, and I realized the Lord, in fact, let's maybe back up here, I didn't realize, the Lord spoke to me and showed me that the reason I couldn't remember beginning to believe 
this particular dimension of my faith was because it happened to me. I heard it preached as a child. It was put in my spirit as a child because that was the faith of the founding pastor of that church. He was a great believer in end-time, worldwide, apostolic revival and harvest. He believed that God was going to do something amazing in the earth, immediately preceding the coming of the Lord. And I don't remember a time that I uh, I did not consciously believe that. And the only conclusion I could come to is, and again, the Lord confirmed it to me, was that this was what was preached to me as a child. You may think your children are not paying attention, but if they're sitting in a service where there's a move of God, and where there's a word of God being spoken, there are things put into your children that neither you nor they even realize is happening to you, to them. And I will say this to you. This particular faith has probably been the most rock-solid, foundational faith affecting my day-to-day and my day-to-day life than any other single factor in all that I believe about God, the Word of God, the things of God, all that I believe about God. This is, this is, this is probably the single most specific thing that affects my life on a day-to-day basis. Always has, is, and by faith always will. Uh, let's put it on the screen, if you would. Help me out here, please. Uh, these aren't in my notes, but since I started a little early, I got a little time. Hebrews chapter uh, 11. Uh, let's skip down around verse uh, 13, 14, somewhere in there. Let's see where we are. Uh, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but God having, but having seen them afar off and having, I, I still can't see that very well. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims of the earth. It, I, I want you to see the progression here. God gave promises to Abraham that were passed to Isaac, and they become Isaac's promises. And they were passed to Jacob, the the next generation. They became Jacob's promises. They weren't Abraham's promises that Jacob believed. They were God's promises to Jacob. Even though they were first delivered to Abraham, and then delivered to Isaac through Abraham, Abraham, Isaac took ownership of them. And then when Isaac delivered them to Jacob, Jacob took ownership of them. And these all died not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. They didn't see them physically. They saw them in the eye of, of the Spirit. They saw them with the eye of faith. Having seen them afar off, were, were persuaded of them. They were convinced 
of the truth of those promises and embrace them. Just because you believe something doesn't mean you've embraced it. Embrace to me implies taking taking a hold of something, taking ownership of something, uh, 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 taking something into you, holding on to it. And and they were uh, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. The impact of the promises of God on them was so great that it changed how they saw themselves in the earth. I guess it's always been Israel struggled with it. I don't, I, you being people, human beings, us, all of us being people, human beings, I, I guess it's not that far-fetched that we would struggle with the same thing. Israel constantly struggled with wanting to be like the nations around them. Even to the, the to the point where they they wanted they ended up wanting to worship the gods of the nations around them. And of course they were warned about this. And it's still the warning of the people of God today. We are in the world. We are not of the world. We are not trying to fit in. We're not trying to blend in. We're not trying to be like them. We're not trying to be accepted of them. We're not trying to be approved of them. If you are any of those things, you have no biblical basis for it. You have no biblical basis for it. In fact, the word church, ecclesia, and you've heard me say this before, and I think I might have said it last weekend. The word ecclesia means the assembly of the called out ones. How can you be called out if you're still acting like you're in? I'm thrilled that my sons did not have to experience what I did. They went to Antioch Christian School. I'm glad that they were able to do that. Somewhere along the line, the, the church has lost the vision for that, so it's closing at the end of the year. And, of course, please don't have anything negative to say if you weren't actively involved in trying to keep it going. That's way too painful of a subject for me right now. I'm not, I wouldn't be responsible if I heard you were against the closing of it because I would probably be real close enough that you'd know whether or not I was using a breath strip to find out what you were doing to keep it open. I, I was the only Pentecostal in high school in Rhode Island. High school of about 1,500 kids. I was the only Pentecostal in a high school in Prince George's County my last two years. In a high school of 2,200 kids. I was the only Pentecostal that I knew of out of 4,200 students at the Naval Academy while I was there. There might have been others. I didn't know them. Never did meet them. 
I know what it likes. I know what it's like to not be a part of who and what you're, you're around every day. I know the pressure to fit in. I know the pressure to be like them. But the reason God chose Abraham was because he gave a charge or a call, an invitation to Abraham. And then when Abraham obeyed that call, God blessed him for it. And what was the call to Abraham? Come out from among them. I want you to leave everything behind that you know. They've all given themselves over to multiple gods. You can't stay among them without being like them. So since I love you and I want, I want you to love me, I'm ask, I'm telling you, you want, you want to be mine? You want me to be associated with you and you with me? Then you come out of there. Leave family behind. Leave possession, all your houses, all the lands, leave it all behind. Come out and I will, once you get moving, I'll show you where you're going to go. He didn't even tell Abraham where he was going. He just said, leave. Leave. I wonder if the reason God doesn't give us clear direction is we're waiting for the particulars before we decide whether or not we want to do it. Are you a child of Abraham? God said, Leave her of the Chaldees. Leave them. Where am I going? You get moving and I'll show you. But I'd like to know ahead of time. Not telling you ahead of time. You want to be my child? You're going to walk with me. You can't stay there without becoming like them. So come out of there. So Abraham believed God. And he left it all behind. Oh, and he wasn't young when he did it either. The scripture says he was 75 years old when he uprooted his himself and all of his family. He uprooted it all. He took it all out of there. Took it all with him and left. The only relative that was not of his specific bloodline that he took with him was Lot. And we know, or most of us know, the outcome of that. Because once they got to where they were going, and there was contention between Lot, his Abraham's nephew, between him, his herdsman, and Abraham's herdsman, Abraham says to Lot, let's not strive, we're brethren. You choose which direction you go, and I'll go the other way. And Lot looked on the well-watered plains of Sodom, and saw how lush the grass was for his sheep. He saw how close he would be to civilization with all the benefits, uh, really close distance to Walmart. And if his wife didn't want to pre- pre- uh, cook, it would be really easy and close for them to get to the closest McDonald's or some other place to eat. And he looked in the opposite direction and he saw desert. So he looked at the well-watered plains of Sodom and all that they offered. And he looked the opposite direction. There was nothing but desert. And so he said, now you would have thought that the nephew would have deferred to the uncle and said, no, 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 you choose. But he didn't do that. So he he looked at, he said, uh, hey, uncle, we're going to go this direction. 
How'd that work out for him? He took the way that looked better. He took the way that he thought was going to work better for him. Abraham went the other direction. He went to what looked like the desert. Which one ended up blessed? God made promises to Abraham because of this. Uh, I know some of you have heard these before. Welcome. Isn't this awesome? You're going to get to hear them again. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord God, the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will, future tense, show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. I, 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 you know, I've had people look at me really strange and say, you believe Antioch's going to have a hundred thousand members one day. You know what? That's kind of really small compared to you believing that God said that your offspring through you, that every family on earth was going to be blessed. Every family on earth. Every family on earth. God said to Abraham, Every family on earth is going to be blessed through you. Every, every family on earth. <laughs> Some of you would be ready to call the man with a white uh, straight jacket. If I just said I believe that every family on earth in Anne Arundel County would be blessed through this church. Just Anne Arundel County. But God said to Abraham, every family on earth will be blessed through you. Well, what was the catalyst for this promise? God didn't give him this promise till Abraham was moving. God didn't give Abraham this promise till he made the effort to demonstrate his willingness to come out. The second time the Lord said to him, Genesis 22, verse 14. This is after Isaac was born. And uh, the Lord said, I tell you what. You know, I know all these promises I've made you, but I want you to take Isaac and, and, and make him a living sacrifice. I want you to, make, you to make him a sacrifice. And that meant he was going to kill Isaac. That's what a sacrifice meant in that day. So when Abraham went up to the mountain with Isaac, just the two of them, and he prepared to offer Isaac's life to God as a sacrifice. And the Lord intervened before he could do that and said, Okay, you've proven to me that you really will put me ahead of everything, including your most treasured possession, your son. Genesis twenty-two fourteen. the scripture says this, Genesis twenty-two fourteen, And Abraham called the name of that place, Jehovah Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord. For because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thy only son, that in blessing I will bless thee and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven or as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. 
I'm not putting myself in Abraham's category. But if you don't believe that I have had personal, intimate conversations with my sons and reminded them I didn't ask them to be here. Still to this day, I've never asked either one of them to be here. If they're here, it's because they believe God has put them here. But I've had conversation with both sons. That as much as I love them as a dad and would give my life for them, I've literally had this conversation more than once with both of them. That before I would let either one or both of them take this church in a direction that God hasn't desired for it to go, they would be kindly invited to find some other location in which to minister. You know what? I don't really care what you think about me for that. You know why? Because naturally speaking, I love my wife and my sons and my grandchildren. My, my, of course, my sons and their wives and my grandchildren more than any other human beings on this earth and would give my life for them, naturally speaking. No question about it. It's not even a question in my mind if I'd do it. But spiritually, there's not one of them means more to me than the promise of God. Again, I don't expect you to understand that. There's some of you, precious folks sitting here, you've compromised your promises for the sake of your kids. And you've tried to find you a nice, comfortable place where you could believe your kids were saved regardless of how they're living. I love you. I love you kids. But I'm going to tell you something right now. The moment you begin to compromise in your heart the truth of the Word of God so you don't have to face the fact that your kids are not in a safe condition and if they died today, they probably wouldn't go to heaven. You just prove who you love more. And if you don't think that God's going to test every child of God, whether they will choose him over their kids, you don't know a thing about God. If Abraham is the father of all believers, and we are Abraham's children, in some way, shape, or form, God's going to test you to see whether you choose him or your most prized possession. There's a favorite Bill Gaither trio or actually vocal band song that I, I, I play every once in a while just because I like it. If you've never heard it, I feel sorry for you. God, don't play second fiddle. You ever heard that song? Oh, Lord have mercy. It's kind of a neat, neat play on the idea of uh, of, of uh, Gabriel sat down or whoever it was, 
Michael, somebody sat down with their violin and God walked in with his and the angel moved out of the first chair seat and let God sit down because God doesn't play second fiddle. You don't understand that terminology unless you've ever played in a band or an orchestra. But for each instrument, there's a first chair and a second chair and a third chair and a fourth chair. And, and, and the lead chair is the one that gets to play all the best parts and the people playing the same instrument, but in a, they're in a lesser chair. They have to play all the fill-in stuff. And of course, the, the story of the, or the, the, the moral of the song is, that God's not going to be second fiddle to anything in your life. Anything in your life. And if you don't think he's going to test you to see what's more important to you. Some of you were here years ago when this was an auditorium. And there was no second floor in here. The original auditorium in this building. It was, it was all from the ground up. It was all one floor. I mean, one one auditorium, no second floor in here. And it was my birthday. And it's one of the most moving things that's ever happened to me in my life. But somebody got the big idea to raise enough money for my birthday to uh, pay for me to go through ground school and uh, all the flying necessary to get my private pilot's license. And what was said to me the night they presented this to me was that because you gave up flying so that you could preach the gospel and come here, we want to restore to you what you gave up. I was very deeply moved by that. Some people got really upset with me. You know what I did with the money? Bought me a stereo system. There's some folks still didn't understand that to this day. When I died to flying, I died to the desire to fly. When I put the gospel ahead of flying, I didn't even want to do it recreationally. And I knew there were people that thought I, I completely rejected what they were trying to do for me. I didn't, re- I didn't reject it at all. It deeply moved me. And the, the sentiment, the thought behind it was deeply moving. It moves me to this day. But the problem was, I didn't want to fly. I was dead to it. Oh, love flying? Oh, my, 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 my. When you sit there with that stick between your legs and you push it down that first, first time by yourself up there, you push it down to get, to, to get going to a dive and begin to gain airspeed. When the airspeed is at the appropriate amount for that aircraft, you pull back on that stick real hard and all of a sudden that nose just passes through the horizon and you cock your head back around to look for the first time to find the horizon to finish out that loop. Oh, I can't explain that to you. I, roller coasters are tame. There isn't anything because in a roller coaster, you sit in that car and you're just riding along. But when you're up there your first time by yourself, and that's the lesson for the day, and you had to come back and tell your instructor the things you did, there's nothing like it. 
There's nothing like it. <laughs> I guess that's why I've always needed something that drove a little bit fast. Just a little bit. You know, I, I had to have something. I know I came to Maryland with a stripped-down 69 Volkswagen combi van that had rubber mats in it, no carpet, no blower on the heater, no nothing. And we brought it because that was our second vehicle, and we bought it originally to haul kids to Sunday school, and that was the reason we bought it. We didn't need two cars. But my other car was a 1970 Pontiac Grand Prix, 400 cubic inches, four-bell carburetor, First time I ever drove it, I barely got half of a throttle in it and was burning rubber, and I thought, whoa, yeah, this is what I'm looking for. All it needed was a button you could push, put the wings out, you know, but I could pretend. But I died to it. I died to flying. I love to get on an airplane today, not that I love going through the airport and all of that. But I'm like a kid. When it's daylight outside, I, I, I spend so much time with my nose stuck in the window. Because I love maps. I know I'm weird. I, I know. But I love maps. I, I can take a map book and study it for hours. I want to see where everything is in relation to everything else. So when I'm flying, I know where I am. I know what city that is. I know where this is going. I know what that, what's off this direction, this direction. I know where I am because the maps are in my head. I've spent that much time studying them. And so here I am. I got my nose in the window. And now with that, my little camp, my, my, my cell phone, if you put it on airplane mode, you can still take pictures with it. And I'm taking pictures. And I never do anything with those pictures. I'm just taking those pictures because I want to take pictures of something because it's really beautiful out there. I love I love to fly. But I don't want to be the one in the pilot seat. <laughs> I remember uh, we were evangelizing. <clears throat> I was still 20, no, I was 24. And my wife was not yet 19. And we were pat, we were evangelizing in Grant Gainesville, Florida. And the, the uh, pastor there had his own airplane. A little piper. My wife had... It was, that was the first time you ever flew, wasn't it? She'd never flown before. And he wanted to take me up. And I wanted her to go because I wanted her to enjoy the flying. And she finally agreed she would go as long as I didn't touch the pl- wheel of the plane. Now, i got to admit that was a little bit offensive to me, just a little bit. Okay? So I said, okay, okay, okay. So <laughs> we got in it and took off, and we were flying around. And all of a sudden, the pastor looked at me and just took his hands off the wheel. Well, my wife was sitting behind me, and there was nothing left to do. I mean, it was not going to fly itself by itself. So I took a hold of the wheel and flew a little while. And all of a sudden, she realized, she looked, and the pastor didn't have his hands on the controls. And she'd been around me and looked. You said you wouldn't do that. I said, he took his hands off the wheel. What do you want me to do? 
You want the promises of God? You want the blessings of God? You have to pass the test when it comes time for the Lord to find out what you love more, him or whatever is the most important thing to you. you got to pass the test. If you don't pass the test, your life is going to be full of confusion. There won't be any direction. There won't be any faith operating. I've said this for years. I don't have to explain how much I love my wife. I have lived that, breathed that, demonstrated that. I love my wife. I love her more than any other single human being on this earth. She's my very best friend. If I have a choice to be with her or anybody else, I choose her every time. There's nobody, nobody, no one single human being in this world that I would choose to be with over spending any amount of time with her. Even if we're just sitting in the living room together, both of us just doing whatever we're doing on our iPads. I'll tell you a secret. I'm going to be in trouble when we get home. She loves to look at websites that sell hats. What do you think of this one? Well, I'm not stupid. It's beautiful. Why don't you get it? That I almost guarantee she's not right there. I mean, it'd be happy with me if she. I could care less if she got. It. I'd be happy for her to get it. But you know, we're sitting there together. We're not having some heavy, deep conversation. She's sitting in her recliner. I'm sitting in mine. We've got a table between us. I enjoy that. I just enjoy being with her. But I told her a long, 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 long time ago, please, I love you, but don't put me in the position of having to choose you or Jesus because the choice is made. You're not going to like the outcome. Please don't ever put me in a position. Don't, 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 don't make any threats or give any ultimatums where I've got I got to make a choice over choosing you or Obeying God and pleasing God. Please don't do that. You're not going to like the outcome. The choice has already been made. That's the faith of Abraham, you see. That's not, that's not weird. That's not unreasonable. That's not whatever. That, that's what it means to have a God. That what's, that's what it means to believe in the God. I don't know what I don't know what Adam was thinking. You read the scripture very carefully, you'll see that Adam was credit, credited with being the one that brought sin into the world. The woman was tempted. She disobeyed the word of God. But Adam wasn't tempted, he made a choice. He chose the woman over God. Yes, he did. He chose her over God. And I don't, I'm not talking about the woman, woman. I'm not speaking about women. I'm speaking about Adam's choice. Adam made a choice that reflected his faith. Abraham made a choice. And God honored his choice. And God blessed him abundantly for that choice. First of all, he said, because you've obeyed me, through you, every family on earth is going to be blessed. 
And then the second time he said, because you've made this choice, through your seed, every nation on earth is going to be blessed. I got a question for you. What's saving faith? Most of us would say, well, it's believing in God, obeying his word. And wrong answer. That's your opinion. Where's your book for it? How about I give you a book? Romans chapter four, verse one. What shall we say then that Abraham our father is pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof the glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He didn't say he believed in God. He said he believed God. What did he believe? Romans chapter 4 verse 13. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. The promise that he'd be heir of the world. Verse 14. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of none effect because the law worketh wrath. For where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed. Not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us at all. Verse 17, father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, which quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which are not as though they be, as though they uh, were. Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his only own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old. Neither did he, neither yet. Uh, the, the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. What was imputed to Abraham for righteousness? His faith in the promises of God to him and through him. Not faith in God, but faith in what God had said to him became righteous, his righteousness. You can believe in God all you want, and it's not doing you 10 cents worth of good. Well, I believe in God. Oh, yeah, yeah, you do, sure. Yeah, yeah, you believe in God. Well, I'm in church, aren't I? So, are you? Have you come to church yet? Saving faith, faith that is accounted as righteousness, it's not faith in God. It's faith in the promises of God. Faith in the promises of God. 
you know, no offense here, and, and I'm only trying to make a point. I'm not a morbid person. My wife calls me Positive Peter. Not a, I'm not a morbid person. I'm not a negative person. I'm not pessimistic. I heard a saying the other day. I forget exactly how it, it went something along this line. The pessimist notes that the wind is blowing. The optimist believes it's going to change. The realist sets his sails. I'm not standing here tonight simply because I want to go to heaven. I'm not standing here tonight simply because I'm trying to be a good person. I'm standing here tonight first and foremost because I believe the promises of God to mankind, to his church on this earth in these last days. I don't know when Jesus is coming. I don't know if it's going to be tonight, this week, next month, next year, in the next five years, the next 10 years, the next 15 years. I don't know. Remember when Y2K was such a big deal? Or the year 2000 is going to turn over. You know what? And Christians were all freaked out. Oh, it's the year 2000. You're kidding, right? If you want to count 2,000 years from something, count 2,000 years from the change of the covenants. And when was the change of the covenants? Not at his birth. At the birth of the church is when the covenant changed. Well, when is? When when did the covenant change? Somewhere between, according to scholars, we don't know exactly when. Uh, somewhere between uh, 18 A.D. and, uh, excuse me, 28 A.D. and 32 A.D., somewhere in there. So 2,000 years since the covenant covenants changed won't be till somewhere around uh, 2028 to 2032. So I, I don't know exactly when it's going to happen. But I've already, already figured out how old I'll be then. 2028, I'll be 82. A spry, get with it, 82. In 2032, I'll be 86. And I will still be a spry, getting with it, 86. Why? Because the Lord promised me I was going to live to see the promises come to pass. Oh, but you could get sick and die. No, I can't. No, no, I can't. I may get sick, but I'm not dying. I got a promise. It's just some of you, you kind of go, oh, well, that's Brother Wright. You know him. He's just kind of, I feel sorry for you. Some of you, your faith doesn't work anymore. You've had so many disappointments. <laughs> you have had so many disappointments that didn't work out your way, and you're so disappointed in God that you just 
start going to put yourself out there anymore. That's exactly what he was trying to find out. That's why for essentially 11 months, I had to sit on two inches of chair with my back straight and bring the food up and eat it in the square with with my chin tucked in, not turned right to left. Because they wanted to find out and see who was going to fold. You don't find out who's going to fold when the sun's shining. You find out who's going to fold when things aren't going very well. And some of you have already folded up your faith tent and gone home. You're kidding me, right? You folded up your faith tent. Well, life is so hard and it's full of so many disappointments and I just, I just can't put myself out there again and get hurt. Quick, quickly, we need, we need, we need a tissue brigade in here. Let's go dry the tears off the, the, the crybabies that prove they don't have it. They can't do it. Oh, it's not a question of good and bad. It's not a question of what's in here. It's a question of what's in here. It's what's in here. Oh, Lord, have mercy. I never expected this to come out like this tonight. And the Lord gave me this direction. I'm thinking, wow, I got to teach on one of my very favorite subjects in the whole wide world. And here I am beating you up with it. What's up with that? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. James 5 and 7, listen to this. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and the latter rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. That's what this is about, you see. Jesus only had approximately three, three and a half year ministry, but the Lord spent 30 years teaching him how to prepare for that three and a half year ministry. 30 years. How did he do that? Though he were a son, yet learned the obedience through the things which he suffered. Faith is not tested whenever things going okay. Faith is tested when everything you're believing for looks absolute, makes it, the promise look absolutely impossible. That's what faith is. There is nothing in this world more feared by the world than people with real faith. Real faith. Faith. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> I remember the day I stood right out in the median, right down the bottom of that hill. The realtor and I. I remember that day. I was 30 years old. Pressure. My Lord have mercy. The pressure I lived under every day. 
Every month we had to take a special offering just to make a $265 a month church payment. Every month. Money was never there. There was never $265 in the bank when it, we had to take a special offering. It's the only way we, we, we paid the bill. And I'm up praying. The Lord says, you go out today, I'm going to give you a piece of property. <laughs> the, the operative word there is give because we didn't have any money to buy it with. I stood in that median right out there. He only brought me here out of courtesy. He had already picked up on the fact we didn't have any money. And he said, stood there and told me, 33 acres of ground, 1,700-foot frontage on Ritchie Highway. He said this property is worth a whole lot more than what, he's, what the man's asking. I think it was $189,000. He said, but him and his wife are divorcing. and they're wanting to get rid of this property. So they're only going to sell it if they can sell all three. It was three parcels. We're only going to sell it if they can sell all three parcels together. But I said, if he broke it up, he could, he could double, triple that easy. He said, yep, but he's an old man, and he's tired, and he, he's tired of his wife, and he's done, and he, he just wants to get, literally, and he just wants to get rid of it. Well, it might as well have been $165 or $189. I, I, I didn't have that either. Church didn't have it. But I stood there, and this still small voice said to me, tell him you'll take it. Here's the contract, and he gave me details on the terms. And I, I told him what I, I started to walk away, and he knew I was walking away. We were, I was getting ready to check the, the, uh, the uh, northbound traffic so we could walk back across the lanes to where our cars were parked. Or I was riding with him where his car was parked. And I turned like this. He was behind me. And the Holy Ghost spoke to me in about five, seven seconds. He gave me all the details. I turned. I said, no, we'll take it. And this is the, these are the terms. He said he'll never accept it. I said, you're a uh, licensed realtor. Yeah. And is it not law? You have an obligation to submit any contract that I want to submit. Yes, sir. I'll go write it up. I said, okay. Slight problem. Our, just our mortgage payment every month was going to go from $265 a month to $2,265 a month. We had to take a special offering every month just to pay the $265. But the Lord said, buy it. How foolish is that? Well, it's always foolish to the mind. But it's not foolish to faith. God said it. I didn't have to pay the bill. It wasn't my bill. Abraham believed God. He didn't believe in God. He believed what God said. Anybody can believe in God. Oh, there's a God. But the faith, that the saving faith that's accounted for righteousness is faith that can believe what God says no matter what it is God's saying. Twenty-three years old, I graduated college, and the Lord says, "Here's a sixteen-year-old. I want you to marry her." Really, sixteen? Less than two months shy of seventeen. Big deal. Seventeen. Yep, here she is. Boy, would my life be a mess if I hadn't listened to that. 
I can't even imagine what it would be. And for those of you that were here this morning, didn't she ever more preach? Now, she's gotten more dignified. Not that she wasn't dignified back, by, back then, but she's gotten more confident. But let me tell you something. That very first night in that very first service when she got up and gave her testimony, it was just that fiery. Whew, my, my, my. Lord, have mercy. Beautiful and full of Jesus, too. What a package. And she could play and sing on top of all of that. Mm. I wasn't even thinking about the fact she could cook. Abraham believed God, and it was accredited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God, and it was put on his account. His faith in what God said, instead of being written in his account as faith, it was written in his account as righteousness. A lot of people are trying to be righteous by doing right. But if you really want to be righteous, you got to believe God. you got to believe what God says. But it doesn't make sense. That's not my problem. That's not my problem. It's what God says. What does God say? And here's the, here's, here's the real disturbing thing here. It's not enough that you believe the preacher believes God. And Abraham believed the priest heard from God and it was accounted for righteous. No, 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 no. Isaac couldn't believe in Abraham's promise. Isaac had to believe until the promise was his. Jacob couldn't believe in Abraham or Isaac's promise. Jacob had to live until the promise was his. He had to believe until the promise was his. I can't stand here and tell you how in the world There's going to be 100,000 people here, but I can tell you how to get there. One Bible study at a time. One prayer meeting at a time. One care group at a time. One preaching point at a time. One daughter work at a time. That's how we're going to get there. We're not going to leap from this to 100,000 people, thank God. I can't even imagine what the apostles went through. They were 120 in the morning and 3,120 in the evening. No wonder they were so stressed. By the time we get from chapter 2 to chapter 6, they are stressed out. They said, we can't do this anymore. We're going to appoint some others to, to oversee all this administrative stuff. We, we, we got it. We're going to give ourselves back to prayer and to the ministry of the word because we've gotten sidetracked here. When you believe what God says, that's called vision. When you believe God's promises for the future, for yourself and for 
the church you're a part of and for the the church uh, universal. When you believe God's promises, that's called vision. And where there's no vision, the people perish. And how do you know that someone hasn't bought into the vision? The scripture actually says, and I'm paraphrasing now, where there's no vision, the people become unrestrained. There's no check on them. There's no restraint. They become unruly. They become lawless. As pastors, because we love you, we have a tendency to preach about the stuff you shouldn't be doing and the stuff you really should be doing. But the bottom line is this. I can preach to you all the stuff God expects of you and all the stuff he expects you not to do. But unless you have vision, you're not going to be able to do it because it's vision that is the is the thing that gives you the motivation to do what God says and what he says not to do. Because let me tell you something. I know there's death, and I know there's something after death. And the only thing I know about what's after death is what the Bible says. That's all I know about what's after death. I, I, I know there's a heaven. I know there's a hell. I know that souls are going to live forever. They're going to spend eternities. I know all of that. I believe all of that. But the problem is, standing here right now, it's really hard to get a handle on that. So what is it that keeps me living from God, for God every day? What is it that keeps me walking with God every day? It's not heaven. It's not hell. It's vision. It's vision. That's the motivation. It's vision. I believe Acts 2.38 is the plan of salvation with everything, absolutely everything in me. I'm prepared at this moment to talk to anybody of any educational background who has any faith in the Bible at all. I'm, I'm prepared to discuss that with them. I, I'm not the least bit afraid of losing the argument, not because I'm smart, but because it's so obviously in the book when, once you see it. And it can't be argued against. I believe in one God. I know where the concept of three and one came from. And it didn't come from the day of Pentecost. And it didn't come from Jesus. It came from the Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D. Almost 300 years after the birthday of the church. It was the first time even anybody even talked about two persons in the Godhead. The third person of the Godhead is a doctrine wasn't even added until 383 at the Council of Trent. There was nobody preaching and believing in two or three persons in the Godhead. In fact, history tells us there were over 1,600 recognized bishops in the church of the Lord Jesus, the church of our God. In 325 A.D. And when Constantine sent out the invitation. Calling them all to a church council. Less than 400 out of 1600. Were even willing to come and sit. With the unbaptized. Constantine. And of the 400 that showed up. It was a little more than a majority of 200 that even believed in two persons or what they ended up calling two persons in the Godhead. 
It just absolutely blows my mind when the churches of this world today want to act like this is this was always believed. It wasn't always believed. All the apostles were dead before this was even enunciated or, or defined. Most of the immediate converts, if not all of the immediate converts of the apostles, were already dead. So the first generation of the church, the second generation of the church, and most of the third generation of the church were already in the ground. Just look how far we've come in this nation in less than 300 years from the intent of our founding fathers when they wrote the Constitution. The principle in our Constitution, the separation of church and state, wasn't to protect the state from the church. It was to protect the church from the state. That wasn't the purpose. It wasn't the purpose. But it is today. If we as a nation have changed that much in less than 300 years, how much did the gospel change when Paul, before his death, many times in the epistles, warned about the false teachers that were already in the church and that were coming. And barely more than 200 out of 1,600 recognized bishops in 325 A.D. even participated in changing the doctrine of the church because 1,200 of them weren't going to sit under the authority of a secular government headed by a non-baptized unbeliever. Oh, but today, you don't believe in three persons of the Godhead, you're a heretic, you're denying the faith. Whose faith? Where did it come from? Oh, Lord, have mercy. Hebrews 11, verse 12. Therefore sprang there even of one, him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky and multitude and the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. They died, but they didn't see any of the stuff they were believing for at the time of death. Did that mean God failed? But having seen them afar off, were persuaded of them and embraced them and having and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims in the earth. And then skipping to the last two verses, Hebrews eleven thirty nine and 40 of the chapter of faith. Or some refer to chapter 11 of Hebrews, Faith's Hall of Fame. And that's amazing because every person mentioned in the Old Testament or in Hebrews chapter 11 is Old Testament Christian. But listen to what it says. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God, having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. And the Greek word there, perfect, means completed, brought to fulfillment. 
So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they received the promise. They believed the promise. They died without seeing us. You and I, God's not going to give us this promise directly. He's already given the promise. It's in the book. It's our responsibility to decide whether or not we believe it. Can you can you imagine this? There's nothing in history, nothing in history that even remotely resembles God fulfilling his promise to Abraham made in Genesis 12 or Genesis 22. Did God fail? Did God fail? No, it's not over with yet. Oh, I, I realize, I realize all of us do different things for our livelihood to support our families and feed feed our families and clothe our families, etc. I understand that. I understand that you you and I have to do different things. We all do something different, essentially. As our jobs. But the bottom line is. We're all in the same body. We've all been given the same promises. We've all been invited into the same covenant. Listen to this. This is so plain. That if it was any plainer. It would be God himself standing here in bodily form speaking to you. Galatians chapter 3 verse 6. Galatians 3 and 6. Even as God, even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. It was a word account there means accredited to him. Put on his account. He believed God. He believed the promises of God. But it was put on his account as righteousness. He believed, but it was recorded as righteousness. Know ye therefore, verse 7, that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Not those born after the natural seed. Their time's coming again. But today, the children of faith, Regardless of your color, regardless of your background, regardless of your, your, your physical, natural lineage. If you are a child of, of faith, you are a child of Abraham. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture <laughs> foresee that God would justify the heathen through faith, preach before the gospel unto them, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. Now listen to this. This is amazing to me. First of all, the same one that wrote this, uh, the Holy Ghost writing through Paul, in Galatians chapter 3 verse 8, is the same one that wrote through Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and said that the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So in 1 Corinthians 15, he said that the, the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In, uh, in, in Galatians 3 and 8, he said that 
that, that the Lord knowing, seeing, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. Now, first of all, that statement wasn't made in either in Genesis 12 or in Genesis 22. In Genesis 12, it said, In thee shall all families be blessed. In Genesis 22, it said, In thy seed shall all nations be blessed. But God combined the two and made them one total promise. And said, In thee shall all nations be blessed. Well, how's, then there's a contradiction. First Corinthians 15 says the gospel of death, brother, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the, and, 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 uh, Galatians 3 and 8 says, the gospel is in these shall all nations be blessed. No. No. One is the process of the gospel. The other is God calling those things that are not, as, it, as Romans 4 said. He calls those things that are not as though they were. He tells the end of a thing before the beginning. So when he talked about, he, when Galatians 3 and 8 talks about the gospel, what was preached to Abraham in Genesis 12 and Genesis 22 wasn't, the details of the gospel, but the results of the gospel. God foretold the results before he told the process of the gospel. There's no way Abraham understood that his his son was going to be born. I turned that off. Thank you, Brother Spriggs, for the number. God, God wanted him to know. God wanted him to see it in advance. Abraham did not understand that Isaac was going to be the firstborn in a lineage that would end up being the bloodline of the Messiah. And that his offspring down many generations was going to die and be buried and rise again and ascend into heaven and send forth back the Holy Ghost and people would be baptized in the name of his offspring, which is the name, the family name of heaven and earth, according to Ephesians chapter 3. Abraham couldn't see that. So what God told Abraham from the beginning was the result of it, just like he did the first time he mentioned the church. Matthew chapter 16. Verses 18 and 19. Upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. From the very beginning of the mention of the church, he didn't define who the church was. He didn't tell how to get in the church. But he told the ultimate result of the church. The church was ultimately going to be victorious while it was still on the earth over the adversary. So God there, even the first mention of the church, he didn't tell how to get in the church. He didn't explain what the church was, but he told the results of the church. Told what the church was going to do. So it was the first time it was gospel was preached. He didn't tell the details of the gospel. He didn't tell the significance of the gospel. He didn't tell the process of the gospel. He told the results of the gospel. And this is the prophesied results of the gospel. Every family on earth is going to be blessed. Every nation on earth is going to be blessed. Verse 6 again, Galatians 3, 6, Even as Abraham believed God, it was counted unto him of righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Of faith here is not talking about doctrine. I'll show you later on in this same chapter how to get in Christ. So you're of faith. 
but of faith. Just because you're in Christ doesn't mean you're really of faith. Because once you're in Christ, you still have to believe the promises of God to Abraham. So you come to church, and life is tough. And you're going through your little trials. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be unkind or unsympathetic, but I'm, I'm trying to show you from the big picture standpoint. I know pain is pain, sorrow is sorrow. Had some, I understand about that, and I know some of you have got a lot more than I've ever had, and I'm not trying to be unkind and have no compassion. That's not the point here. But from the perspective of eternity, come to church with your little trials, your little problems, your little pain, your little difficulties that God your Father has purposely chosen to allow you to be in for His kingdom and His purpose sake. And we come and we just try to survive. We try to survive from service to service, and then we come and try to survive the service. Oh, no, look who's preaching tonight. It's going to be a long, this is going to be a trial tonight. Oh, Lord. Phew. No wonder Scripture says, he whose end endureth shall be saved. Oh, that's not what it says, is it? He that endureth unto the end, or maybe we should say, he that endureth unto the amen shall be saved. Do you know why your trials are such a big deal to you? Because you're down there living in them. You're living in them. You're down there slogging through the mud of them. Yeah, that's where you live. And you're all caught up and all tore up and all messed up. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to make it another day. you you got to be kidding me. This too shall pass. There's none of this forever. And even if you die in the midst of your trial, it was temporary. You know the good thing about old age? It doesn't last forever. There's an expiration date. Oh, by the way, you know the bad thing about being young? There's an expiration date. Isn't it amazing how much we celebrated turning 13? How much we celebrated turning 16? How much we celebrated turning 18? How much we celebrated turning 20? And then a few years later, we look back on that and go, why was that such a hurry? What's the deal? There's an expiration date. There's an expiration date. Don't worry about it. Your problem's got an expiration date. And if you want to live in the here and now, you won't live in the hereafter. It's not that. It's not that pain doesn't hurt and burn doesn't burn. It, it's not that problems aren't problems and pain's not pain, pressure's not pressure. It's not that. It's that you don't live down in the midst of that. Why? I, I've been called to something else. All of that's got a purpose. And we know that all things work together for good to them, to love God and them who are the call according to his purpose. 
all, all of that's got a purpose, and it's just, it's, you know, it's just, it's just part of it. Because I'm a part of something more important than all of that. I, I, you know, I was shaving a couple of days ago. I guess it was actually Friday. And uh, I was in a hurry. I looked up. Ah, I can't believe it. I have a zip. 67 years old. 67. And I still have an outgrown acne. What is up with that? Oh, it's an ingrown uh, beard hair. No, it wasn't. This too shall pass. Somebody asked me the other day about, isn't it okay if somebody covers up their blemishes? Oh, okay, well, okay. Uh if you ladies can cover up your blemishes, then why can't men cover up theirs? What's the difference? Your blemishes are more important than ours? When I was a kid, this was the saying we had. It looks like your face caught, face caught on fire and it was put out with a track shoe. Anybody know what a track shoe is? It's got a little, sh- small, very sharp, pointy spikes on the bottom of the shoe to help you run. Well, that's what my face looks like. I said the other day, I don't have dimples. These are the creases where the stuff left was left over and the scars and all that stuff. That's not dimples. Well, the, the, the reason somebody wants to cover stuff up is they don't like themselves. They're not at peace with themselves. You make peace with yourself, you won't even see that stuff. You see that stuff. If somebody loves you, they won't see it either. And if you got to be somebody you're not just to get somebody to love you, it's like that, that old story we told as a kid that, uh, this man and woman got married and they were on their honeymoon. She took her teeth out, took her hair off, took an eye out, disconnected an arm and a leg and said, here I am, baby. And he didn't know that. He didn't know any of that, you see. Right. So who who do I love? Do I love what there is of you or do I love all that stuff you may look like you, but it's not really you? You see, you see the point here? The reason that is because I don't like myself. Well, that's not what God says. That's not how he feels. That's not the way he wants you to feel about you. But we're all down in this stuff. We're all living in the Oh, we're living. Oh, everything is a crisis. Everything is a trial. Everything is unfair. God is unfair. How can he let me go through this? You're kidding, right? I'm so embarrassed. 
Oh, Lord, have mercy. Let me tell you something. If anything has happened that's caused you to be embarrassed, that's determining how you're living for God, then it's not about God. It's all about you. It's about you. It's about you. It's not about God. You're not concerned about God and what he thinks. You're only concerned about you. I'm not trying to be unkind here. I'm just simply saying you, you can't have peace and joy and righteousness and purpose. And, and you, you can't face life like he intended victoriously. Thanks be unto God which giveth us the victory. What's the victory? This is the victory that overcomes the world. All the pain, the problem, the pressures of the world. What is it? Even our faith. That's what gives me the victory over the world. My faith. If I don't have faith, if I don't believe what God promised, and I'm not a part of what God's doing, and I don't have any vision, and I don't have any motivation to be a part of his kingdom and participate in what he's got planned in this last days, then hear me right now. My life is miserable. Oh, there's a verse for that. If I have hope in this life only, I'm of all men most miserable. If you're, that's Paul, 1 Corinthians 15. And let me tell you something. Listen to me carefully, please. I don't care. I don't care how much you dot the I's and cross the T's on our rules. I don't care. You may be the first one in the building for church and the last one out. You may take, pay 10 plus 10 plus 10 plus 10. But my brothers and sisters, if your whole relationship with God is all built around the here and the now and what thing it is you're going through and how it's affecting you, you are miserable and it's not the preacher causing it and it's not the church causing it. And you can go where you want to go, do what you want to do. You can run to the other corner, the ends of the earth and the miserable person is going to meet you there, you. Gonna, that the, that person's going to meet you there. You can't run from stuff and get away from stuff because it's in you. I'm trying to help you. I'm not trying to be unkind here. I'm not, I'm not trying to offend you. I'm trying to help you. Life's not perfect. Never going to be perfect. David said, if it had been an enemy that had done this to me, I could have borne it, but it was my own, I'm paraphrasing, I don't remember the exact words, bosom friend. It was my best friend that did this to me. I'm going to quit living for God because my best friend treated me bad. Excuse me. Excuse me. You're kidding me, right? The preacher didn't speak to you. I'm not coming back. You're joking, right? Well, he preached down the aisle and he spit all over me while it was passing by. Well, some of you were sprinkled, baptized in some other church, so, hey. You're kidding, right? I'm not going back there again. It's too loud. I'm not going back. You're kidding. We'll do earplug dispensers at the door. You can purify your hands at one dispenser and get the earplugs at the other. But but you're, you're kidding me. 
Is that really, is that the depth of your relationship with God? Is that the, 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 the breadth of why you're here? Hear me. I'd go to hell if I was a part of a church that was just going through the motions, having church and trying to be good people. I'd go to hell. I, I, can't, I can't function like that. I, I can't do it. I can't survive like that. I can't make it like that. I can't. The idea that I've gone through what I've gone through, live what I've lived, been treated like I've been treated at times, and there's no purpose behind it? There's no purpose behind it? I, I know from a world's perspective, all these physical stuff you've been going through, I mean, you just endure it, right? No. God's your Father. He knows every bit of this stuff that's going on. There's a purpose with every pain, with every day of difficulty. There's a purpose in it. That's how you survive it. That's how you make it through it. There's a purpose. There's a reason. I don't always know the reason. He hasn't told me the reason. But I know Him. And I trust Him. And there's a reason behind it. And it's a good enough reason. He's allowing that to happen to me. I'm, I'm really doing everything I can to not tell you what's going on overseas. It's their story to tell. It really is. And I'm not going <laughs> to. I want to simply say it. I got a text from one of them today. He says, he says, you go overseas. You see miracles and signs and wonders. We go overseas. We turn three whole nations against the church in just five days. I know this is the pastor's story to tell. But he was teaching on the oneness of God, baptism in Jesus' name. And the interpreter who had been hired to come and interpret it just laid the microphone down walked out the door. Right in the middle of his lesson. She wasn't going to stand there and interpret that stuff because she didn't believe it. And they're blown away. And you know what my text back to them was? You're not doing anything if you don't have the devil stirred up. If you're not battling opposition in your life, then you're on his side. That's the reason he's not battling you. You're already on his side. If you're his enemies, you're his enemy, he's fighting you. If he's not fighting you, You kidding me, right? Do you understand that what the Lord promised Abraham means the ultimate victory? He was. I'm sorry. You may be a. You may. You may. Your feelings may get hurt for the devil when I say it like this. I heard somebody say to me one time, oh, poor devil. I said, get away from me. If you have any sympathy from him, you and I have nothing to talk about. If he was stupid enough to crucify Jesus, then he deserves everything that's going to happen to him 
in these last days when revival sweeps the earth. I've told this a few times, but, you know, I'm definitely not a perfect person. And there are times he comes and he wants to beat me up. And he wants to remind me of all my faults and all my failures. And, and, and I, you know, I do something or think something or whatever, and I have to confess it and believe the Lord forgives me. And he said, oh, yeah, there you go again. And there comes a point. I just take all of that I can take. And, and this is one of my favorite things to say to him, and it has never failed to shut him up. You know what? It's really got to bother you that you made one mistake and it's over with forever and you don't forgive. You're you're not forgiven and there's no hope of you being forgiven. But here I am and you're so accurate in pointing out all of my faults and all of my mistakes. But it's got to really bother you that the Lord just keeps forgiving me and blessing me and forgiving me and blessing me. And all that stuff that was supposed to be yours, he's given all that to me and the others like me. you got to really like that. How does that make you feel? You want to browbeat me? You want to put me down? You want to point out all my mistakes? Then let me point out yours. One mistake, and you are done. Permanently forever. Oh, and by the way, enjoy your permanent home. The place that was created for you and the ones that were stupid enough to follow you. You don't talk to him like that, do you? You don't. You don't. Hey, whatever my place is in this thing God's got planned is irrelevant. If he just wants me to be the person going around with that little scooper on a handle, sweeping into that stuff and cleaning up people's trash, just so that I can be, if that's all he wants me to do, fine. Just give me a place. It doesn't have to be important. It doesn't have to be where anybody knows my name. But just let me be a part. I am not going to be a spectator. I'm not standing on the sidelines. I'm not going to sit in the stands. I'm going to be a part of this because I believe the word of God. And there is nothing and nobody that can do anything or say anything or not do something or not say something to cause me to choose to give up that any of that for anything. No, no. Not giving it up. There's nobody, there's nobody that can do anything that would cause me to choose what they've done to be important enough in my life. You know what? 
<laughs> Hear me a minute here. The number one battle every one of us has is giving up control to Jesus. It is. That's our biggest battle is giving up control to Jesus. So I'm not going to give Jesus control, but I'm going to give you enough control that if you look at me wrong, I'm going to get offended and leave the church. I just gave you that control. I'm not giving God that kind of control, but I'm going to give you that control. I'm not going to let God have control of my life, but I'm going to let something you say to me cause me to get offended enough to leave. Walk out on God. I'm not going to give God control, but I'm going to give people that kind of control. You're kidding me, right? I'm not giving anybody that kind of control over me. If I'm not going to let God run my life, you're not. You're not making my decisions for me. You're not making my decisions. I'm not giving up that kind of control to anybody. And I'm not going to let you take your problem and make it my problem. I'm going to love you, but your problem's your problem. And if you want to let your problems cause me to, you to treat me in such a way or do or not do to me, that's your problem. But I'm not internalizing that. I'm not letting, I'm not taking that in here. I'm not taking that in here. I'm not giving you that kind of authority or power in my life. I'm not giving that to you. I'm not giving you the ability to do or say something or not do or not say something that would enable you to cause me to make a decision that's detrimental to my place in the kingdom or to my soul. And yet, in 42 plus years of ministry, Sister Wright, 43 in September, (laughs) that's a private joke between me and her and Arnold. I'll guarantee this, 90 plus percent of the people who have, le- who have left the church while they were here and aren't living for God today. I'm not talking about tra- people that transferred or for whatever reason, going to another church and living for God. That, you know, you don't have to come to Antioch to be saved. But people that have walked away from God, 90 plus percent of them did it because they gave people the power. Hey, the guys, the people, not, excuse me, not guys, it was a uh, lady preacher preached in Arnold this morning. You ought to hear that message. Whoop, my. But the people that stand here before you aren't doing it because they're perfect. They're not doing it because they do everything right. They're doing it because it's their call and responsibility. And they're not always going to say everything right. And they're not always going to, no matter how hard they try, they're not always going to say everything with exactly the right attitude that you can take the word from. And if you're looking for a reason to be offended, trust me, stay around long enough, you'll find one. It is an impossibility for you to sit here Long enough, if you can be offended, 
and you're looking for a reason to be offended and looking for an excuse to go someplace, stand around, stay around long enough. Somebody will accommodate you. Whether they intend to or not, they will accommodate you. They will supply you with a justification. My wife loves you so much. (laughs) She'll say to me after I'm through, you know, they don't get to hear you very often. Do do you really have to be that straightforward? (laughs) She, uh, you know, she loves you. She really does. Can you say that just a little bit different? Not very often. She doesn't do that very often, but every once in a while. But she doesn't really even have to say it. I can tell. When we get home after I preach, if she's real quiet, she's feeling bad for you. Some people interpret my enthusiasm and forcefulness as being unkindness or harshness. They don't understand the motive is urgency. That's the attitude and motive. It's urgency. It's not unkindness. It's urgency. I mean, you would really stand on the sidewalk and watch your child about to step off in traffic and go, Now, son, don't step out, splat. You would do that? There's not one of you sitting here would do that. You saw your child about, you see the traffic coming, the child didn't see it, it's about to step out of the traffic. You would be lunging and screaming, stop! What if that child got offended you with, with you for that? You'd go, be offended with me all you want, at least you're alive. Get all upset all you want, but at least you're not dead. I know some of you have heard this story, but we had a little Cape Cod-style house we bought. We first moved to the area for $18,000 on Roosevelt Court in Eastport. Sold it seven years later for 36000 and put all that money in the, the church. That's the truth. And uh, it had, it, you know, Cape Cod-style, it looks like it's one story, but the attic is finished. You can walk up there, and, of course, the walls are only about four feet high, and so the, the finished ceiling's finished. And if you get too close, depending on how tall you are, you're going to run your head into the ceiling. Well, my my, I had a desk right up at the top of the steps. And David was probably a year and a half old, and he loved to climb those steps, come see his dad. And he, I'd stop and hold him a while. We'd play a little bit. Well, this particular day, I look, here he comes. He's coming up the steps. I, I mean, I'm sitting right here, and I'm looking, and there he comes. He's about three-quarters of the way up, and this voice said in my head, he's going to fall. I'm already moving. He gets to the top of the steps and didn't take another, he didn't crawl in another full step. He was on the very top step, and when he stood up, he stood up too fast and lost his balance. That's my child. He's about to get hurt. That's my son. 
it never crossed my mind to stop and watch him roll down. I just kept going. I kept dying. He was just out of my reach. Just, I mean, inches out of my reach. It took me halfway down the steps head first to catch him. And when I, when I caught him, I was sliding down on my stomach, sliding down the steps head first going down the steps. And I reached out and caught him and stopped him from continuing to tumble over backwards. But now I can't stop me. So I stopped him and kept sliding by. When I went by, my right leg caught him, my foot caught him, and brought him rest away down the steps with me. And there, here comes my wife rushing in there, and there the two of us are in a heap at the bottom of the steps. Well, the good part of the story is neither one of us was seriously hurt. But that said something to me about the love of a father. It never crossed my mind to just stand and watch him get hurt. The number of nights that my wife prayed all night long for our boys any time that they were going through something. All night long. She never one time made excuses for what they were or what they were doing. She never one time tried to pretend that they didn't weren't going through a struggle. But she would pray all night long, night after night, until it changed. And I know that for a fact. There were some times she would go a week without really sleeping. She'd lay in that bed and pray all night long, crying out whichever one's name, whoever was going through it. And they were nine years apart, so they were all completely out of phase with each other. And whenever Dave was, David was through all of his phases, Joel was just getting ready to go through his. She didn't, she didn't lay there and say, oh, well, uh, he's not really lost. I don't care how he's living. He's not really lost. I'm not going to believe that. I'm just not going to accept that. No, 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 no. Her faith said, I can't allow that. He may be lost, but it won't be because I haven't pr- cried out to God for him. And she would. Night after night after night, she'd pray till something happened. She'd pray till their spirit broke. She'd pray till their attitude changed. She would pray till God fixed it. And it it wasn't praying an hour and quitting. No, no, no. That wasn't her burden. We didn't really discuss it, but I knew it was going on. I prayed for him. Yes, I did. But it was that mother's love. Like Rizpah, whose sons were executed by the king. And she wasn't allowed to bury their, their carcasses. They still hung up in public and the birds would come. And she, she had vigil over those, those children and beat the birds off of their dead bodies day after day, 24 hours a day, week after week. I forget how long it was. It was two, three, four weeks, something like that. 24-7, her boys were already dead. But she couldn't bear the thought of the birds plucking the skin off her precious children's body if a woman would, would persistently guard her dead children like that. Where are the mothers in Zion? 
that make up their mind. They're going to quit making excuses for their kids and quit changing their doctrine for their kids. They're going to get a hold of God until it, something changes. Not browbeat them, not browbeat them, not always in their face telling them this, that, and the other, but a decision. I'm not going to live in denial over the condition they're in, but I know a God that loves them more than I do, and I'm going to pray till something changes, and something is going to change. That's what faith is, you see. That's faith. Faith isn't living in spiritual la-la land. He never promised to make this heaven. You've heard me say that a thousand times. He never promised to make this heaven. Lord have mercy, we've got to get that attitude out of our head. How long have you battled these physical things? How long has it been now? Seven years. Seven years and they can't do anything about it and you're losing your eyesight on top of that. Can God heal? Can God deliver? Yes! Why hasn't he? Because he's not done with whatever he's doing in his life yet. What if he never gets done with it? What if his soul is so important to God the Lord never takes that stuff away. What if it, what if God loves him that much? What if God loves you that much, but you resent him when he tries to save you? The only thing it gives that purpose and value is that you don't live in this world. You live by a vision and a faith that's beyond this. Look up, lift up your head, your head look under the hills. Your redemption draweth nigh. Look, look. Look, look onto the fields. They're white already to harvest. Look, look and see. My father loves me. Our father loves you. He loves you. There's not anything that he allows to come your way that doesn't cause him great pain. I believe it was Isaiah that prophesied. In all of their afflictions, he was afflicted. Do you hear that? In all of their afflictions, he was afflicted. You're not going through anything that doesn't affect him. King James uses the double negative, so I'm going to eliminate the double negative and say it as a positive statement. We have a high priest who can be touched by the feelings of our infirmities. I'm going through it. I can't make it. I don't even know what to say anymore. All I know to do is say, help, Lord, save me in spite of myself. I don't know how to fix this. I don't know how to change this. Help. And he's moved by that. He's affected by that. Because he's called you to his promises. He's called you to his purposes. He's called you to be a participant in his end time harvest. That's what we are. Do you understand something? In 42 years, we haven't seen any part of the end time harvest yet. That everybody that's been saved for 42 years were all candidates for laborers in a harvest field. Every one of us is a candidate for a laborer in a harvest field. And some of us have eliminated ourselves. And some of us don't understand what's being offered to us. We're not the harvest. We're the ones called to be trained and equipped, taught to be a part of the harvest. 
pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that it send forth laborers into his harvest. I'm going to tell you what. The Greek word translated send forth there. Matthew chapter 9, verse 39, I think it is. In most other places, that word is used in reference to demons being cast out. Most translators translate that verse instead of send forth, they translate it thrust out. Thrust out. The word is literally to eject. So when our Father asks us to pray, for the only real prayer request, personal request, prayer request he made to us for us to pray for. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would thrust out laborers into his harvest. You know what that means? He wants us to pray that he will do whatever is necessary in our lives to eject us out of the grip of life and circumstances that we've allowed to take us captive and bog us down in with attitudes and things that lock us down, but that we would be ejected from that, set free and released into the harvest. I'm paraphrasing now. Your heavenly father has requested of all of those that would possibly pray the prayer request. I'm paraphrasing. Father, do absolutely anything and everything that's necessary to take those that are sitting comfortably on your seats, just sitting there going through service after service, and propel them out of their complacency and comfort zone and put them active into the harvest. That was his prayer request. But then he loves us enough to do that, and we get offended with him. (laughs) You know, it's really easy to preach something. Living it's a problem. John the Baptist, he was on a high, man. He was on a roll. The crowds were coming out to the desert to hear him preach. He didn't have billboards. He didn't use the Internet. He didn't have flyers. He didn't have anybody going house to house saying, you need to come out to the desert and listen to John the Baptist. No, 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 no. He didn't have any of that. But the Holy Ghost was drawing people out of the cities into the desert to hear John preach. And oh, was it awesome and eloquent. I am not the one who is to come. I'm only the voice crying in the wilderness. I'm only the one sent to prepare the way of the Lord. He, I must decrease so that he can increase. Whoa, does that sound good? One day he looked up, here came the king. The king had had his brother murdered so he could marry his brother's wife. And this, old John's on a roll, buddy. Here comes the king to see what the fuss is about. And old John points his bony finger in the king's face and says, You adulterer! You're a murderer and adulterer! (laughs) Well, it wasn't long till 
his uh, illegitimate wife, talks her husband into taking John captive. He can't get away with talking to the king like that. So he's down in the dungeon. He doesn't know it, but he's only a few days away from being executed. So he's down in the dungeon. He hadn't been in the dungeon by himself before. He's always been out in the desert, and the crowds have come to him. Now he's in the desert, the dungeon. And he said, and, and apparently he had a couple of disciples left, and he said, Go ask, go ask him. Is he the one who is to come, or do we look for another? Wait a, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you kidding me? You're the one that stood in the waters of Jordan and said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. And now you want to know, is this the one who is to come or do we look for another? Now you want to know that? So those disciples left John there in the dungeon, went out to say, Jesus, Master, John wants to know, are you the one who's to come? But we look for another. He said, you go tell John what you've seen. I know, I'm sure I don't have the order right here, but the blind see, the deaf hear, the dumb speak, the lepers are cleansed, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached unto him. He doesn't say, he doesn't say to the messengers to say this to John, but he turns to the crowd and says, blessed is he. Who is not offended in me. It was 1975. We were having church in a little old building. The first building we ever owned. Over on Windsor Avenue in Eastport, Annapolis. There's a great man of God. Preached a rally in our service one night. He preached from that verse. And this is what he, this is the meaning of that verse he preached. He said that verse means blessed is he that's not offended with me in the way that I choose to run his life. I'll never forget that as long as I live. Blessed is he that's not offended in me and with me in the way that I choose to run his life. Short time later, King was throwing a party. His stepdaughter was dressed in a very sensuous outfit and she she was dancing for the pleasure of the king, and he was lusting after his stepdaughter. And he said, ask what you will, and I'll give you up to half the kingdom. And she, her and her mother had already talked about it. He's, you're going to please him when he asks for something. It says for you to ask something. Tell him you want, you want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Oh, the king knew he'd been had. What do you want? Tell me. She said, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The Bible says he was very afraid, very disturbed by that. But he did it. Wait a minute. Here's this guy. Here's this guy. He, he, he's, he's one of the most successful preachers I've ever heard of. He emptied whole towns that made pilgrimage out of the cities into a desert to hear him preach. No music, no singing, no nice building. It's hot out there, no air conditioning. They come out there, no food, no restaurant, no coffee shop in the church for you. And they come out there to hear him preach. And now there's nothing but a lifeless head sitting on a platter 
that's a reward of a sensuous dance conducted by a stepdaughter causing her stepfather to lust after her. I mean, how, how bad is that? I mean, you know, you throw your body on a grenade to save your buddies. How heroic is that? But your head's cut off as a reward to some swiveling hips that's created lust in a man. No wonder Jesus said, blessed is he that's not offended with me in the way I choose to run his life. Why? Because he had to decrease so the Messiah could increase. He saw it. He preached it. But preaching it and living it is not exactly the same thing. It's one thing to have enough faith to preach it. It's another thing to have enough faith to live it. There's only one way you live it. You see. The Bible says of Moses that when he was old enough to inherit the kingdom of Pharaoh, He rejected the kingdom of Pharaoh because he esteemed the treasures of God more valuable than the riches of Egypt. He chose to suffer with the people of God. Let's try that. Hebrews 11, let's let's try verse 33. Hebrews 11, 33. I'm, I'm really honestly about done. Or maybe not. Uh, No, let's go uh, three verses ahead of that. Let's try 29. Uh, Nope, it would be, let's try 25. Is it 24? Okay, 24. Thank you. By faith, Moses when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith, He forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. How are you enduring? How are you enduring? Are you seeing the problems or the promises? Are you seeing the temporal difficulties or are you seeing the ultimate eternal promises and their fulfillment and rewards. What are you seeing? One of the most important principles of God is God is no respecter of persons. The only, one of the only reasons for having a human stand in front of you and exhort to you, to exhort you, encourage you, proclaim to you, et cetera, et cetera, is to communicate to you that whatever 
faith you perceive that person has. God is no respecter of persons. No matter who you are, no matter how long you've been around here, short time or seemingly forever, no matter how important or unimportant you think you are here or you think others think you are here, God is no respecter of persons. And if he gave that kind of faith to whoever it is that's standing before you exhorting to that faith, he is willing to give it to you if you will pursue it, if you want it. I'm not going to stand here and tell you it's free because it's not. The notable German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a martyr at the hands of Hitler's Nazis because he stood against the Fuhrer and his policies, wrote this for all ages. Salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you everything. Father, I have said what you've given me to say. By your grace, I have not added to it nor taken away from it. And I commit this into the hearts and minds, souls and spirits of every single individual sitting here and those who are listening to this message or will listen to it in the future. I commit this word into their spirits. I commit this there. In the name of Jesus, I put a hedge of angelic beings around that word to protect it so that the adversary cannot come and pluck it out of their hearts before it's able to germinate and produce fruit to your glory in each of these lives. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus, rise up, Holy Ghost, in the heart and lives of each one of us. Rise up, faith. Rise up, faith in the promises of God. Rise up, the vision of the Lord. Rise up in each one of us. Rise up that the Lord might be glorified. Rise up that the kingdom might be victorious. Rise up that the promises of God might be fulfilled. Rise up that we might find our place in His kingdom. In the name of Jesus, 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 in the name of Jesus. A rich man came to Jesus one day and said, good master, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, keep the commandments. And the the man said, I've kept all the commandments from my youth youth up. And Jesus said, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And you'll have much blessings in my kingdom. And the man went away sorrowfully because he was willing to obey the laws. But he wasn't willing to surrender his heart, his possessions, his pride his life for the purpose and kingdom of God. 
The Holy Ghost is passing through this place tonight. Tonight! Not this week, not next month. Tonight! The Holy Ghost is passing through this place tonight. He's examining hearts. He's listening to minds and thoughts. The Holy Ghost is passing through this place. Judging hearts to see who loves his kingdom. Or who's just here for someone to solve their problems. Make their life better. The Holy Ghost is passing through this place. Which which side of the line that he's drawn? Does your heart find itself on? My God, the Holy Ghost is in this place. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'll think about it this week, preacher. I'll consider it next weekend. I I got some things going on right now. I can't can't decide this tonight. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. You don't know your life is but a vapor. Here today and gone tomorrow. You're not promised tomorrow. You and your salvation is promised right now and only right now. If you live beyond this moment, it'll be the grace of God, but it's not promised to you. My God, the Holy Ghost wants to know which side of the line are you on. The Holy Ghost wants to know. What's most important to you? Your opinions are his opinions. Your feelings are his feelings. Your priorities are his priorities. His kingdom or your life. Your purpose or his mission. Which is most important to you? He has called you. He's given you the opportunity to be a part of his kingdom. The promises he made to Abraham that he died without seeing. You're going to live to see. You're either going to be a participant or a spectator, but you're going to live to see it. It's going to happen in your lifetime. Which side of the fence are you going to be on? Ah, precious ones. Which side of the fence are you going to be on? You're going to be on the field? Are you going to be on the, in the stands? I haven't asked you to come down front. You don't have to move a muscle. But right now, between you and Jesus, the Spirit of the Lord's passing through this place. He's listening to thoughts. He's examining motives. He's looking at priorities. He's not looking for you to be perfect. He's looking for you to be available. He's not looking for you to be faultless and flawless. He's just looking for you to say, yes, here I am. 
By your grace, do with me what you will. By your grace, do through me what you will. You know my vessel. It's an earthen vessel. You know it's full of flaws and faults. It's not perfect. But if you want this vessel, it's yours. Do with it what you will. He My, 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 my. He In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Sister Wright, I hate to do this to you, but would you come up here, please? You can sit right here. I feel to do this in the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost wants the mother of this church to intercede, travail for this church like you did for your sons. Here, please take this. Come on. That spirit of motherly travail, we need it in this church right now. In the name of Jesus. 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 My God. You've heard the voice of the Father tonight. Now feel the prayers of the mother. Come on. The Spirit of the Lord's praying for you. The Spirit of the Lord's interceding for you. He doesn't want you to be lost. He wants you to be a part of Him. Part of His kingdom, His purpose. His plan. Yes. 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 Esther, come up here. Take your mother, take your grandmother's hand and pray with her. The spirit of the travail is on you right now. Kneel down, kneel down, take her hand. Pray with her, pray with her. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. My God. Come on, something's breaking in this place right now. Come on, something's breaking. The Lord draws nigh to those with a broken heart. 
are broken in a contract spirit. The Lord draws nigh to those with a broken heart and a broken and a contract spirit. Jesus name. Jesus name. In the name of Jesus. 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 Come on. Let the Spirit cry out of your soul. Let the Spirit of God pray out of your soul. Come on. Let the, if you don't know what to pray in English, that's fine. Let the Spirit pray. Come on, let the Spirit pray. Let the Spirit pray till it breaks those walls down. Let the Spirit pray till it breaks all those obstacles down. Let the Spirit pray till it makes the hard places soft. In the name of Jesus. 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 Ikahata halaradabataha. Sheikhsekie kie kalaratatahai. Sheikhahai. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on. Come on. The Holy Ghost is doing something. Come on. Jesus name Jesus name Jesus name
Come on, let Jesus help you. Come on, let Jesus do something in your life. Come on. Come on. Come on, there needs to be some mothers in Zion rise up and travail. The prophecy is as soon as Zion travailed, babes were born. There needs to be some mothers in Zion rise up and travail. Not just for the lost, but for the lost of children in the house of God. The mother of Zion, the mothers of Zion, need to travail not just for the lost souls of this world, but for the lost souls of the church of the living God. Rise up, Holy Ghost. Rise up, faith. Rise up, vision. Rise up, promises of God. Rise up, purpose of God. Rise up, kingdom of God. Rise up, authority of God. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Alolo bokura ta 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 haya. Tie kahalararata batabose. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Tie 
Hallelujah. 